Greetings, most excellent Theophilus. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, Theophilus, I am not in studio. At least not for right now. I'm getting an early start because we ran some errands because life and it is currently 3.46 when I would normally be probably done with an episode of Theophilus. So I figured I'd get started now while we're still out and about. Um, I went to our secondhand store. Uh, I found some cool stuff. Um, some coat, well, two different stores. We have a Goodwill and we have another store. Um, some coasters. <laughs> I found, I didn't know, uh, VeggieTales, uh, Big Idea Studios, uh, put out uh, some games, at least a game. Uh, VeggieTales, Minnesota Cuke, <laughs> and the Coconut Apes. So I picked that up. That should be fun. I picked up another game or two. Um, Prince of Egypt movie. Uh, I, I was expecting, <coughs> I was hoping a while ago to uh, to find it on Disney Plus, uh, but then I realized looking at the DV, we were looking at the VHS. I figured out why I couldn't find it on Disney Plus, and that Theophilus is because it's a DreamWorks movie. Go figure. Um, I also found, I felt, mm, I felt really tempted to grab everything that they had. They have, they had like six, five book, books of Mormon at the one secondhand store. I felt like grabbing all of them. I was trying to mentally justify it and I could not, just, I just couldn't mentally justify what I was going to do with them. Um, it's not like I don't have like an apologetics study group. I could have. Maybe I should start um, an apologetics study group. Um, I don't know anyone who would really be worth giving them to. Um, our one family we're sending away to um, missionary to Utah. Um, they probably already have material. Um, so I, I grabbed a hardback. I now have a hardback copy of the Book of Mormon. I didn't know they made those. Um, it makes sense that they'd have made those at some point or another. Um, but yeah. So there's that. Um, I watched, uh, watched Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, the original uh, Black Pearl. Um, that was that was fun to watch. Um, the opening of it was interesting. It uh, was rendered. Uh, what's that called? Uh, the opening sequence. If you're familiar with it, uh, watching it, I was like, "Oh yeah, that is CGI." Um, <laughs> really good CGI, like video game quality uh but like i could tell that ship was cg <laughs> uh really good cg though um and i tried not to nitpick all the theological the wait well, theological no 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 i tried not to nitpick all the simple inconsistent plot holes with the uh there's a problem with the whole the curse like ah we can't feel anything except they're constantly getting hurt and feeling stuff so I don't know how that's supposed to work 
Um, maybe it's just any good feeling, although I don't know how the curse would interpret that, because when you get to the point where you just can't feel nothing, um, then you just, anything would be considered positive stimuli. Except, so like, Barboso, when he takes the dress back, he's like, ah, it's still warm. Uh, even though in the earlier scene he said that he couldn't feel temperature. Um, and at the end, uh, when the curse is lifted, he's like, I feel cold. So either, either, mm, you could almost explain it away where if, I don't know. I don't know. Dumb plot holes. Dumb plot holes, Theophilus. Uh, that don't really matter. Because <laughs> this is a theology podcast, not a film critic con uh, podcast. There we go. I tried to do a spoonerism with that. Anyways. <sighs> I am now home, Theophilus. And <clears throat> start up the computer so I can install a game. I think. Yes. Ah, this is made for XP. I can install a game while we're talking. On my old XP. I got, uh, that Cuke game is unopened, as far as I can tell. Um, so I think I'm about to commit a horrible crime against humanity and open it. Um... I got a few other things in the mail recently. Well, I got a few things in the mail recently, because this wasn't in the mail. I got a 1560 Geneva Bible. Let's see if we can debunk a myth right here. Looking at the Gospel. that beautiful sound, Theophilus? Um, Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. That is spelling. That is spelling. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah. So, I got, I got this. Um, it has footnotes. Um, I've yet to look to see if they have text-critical uh, footnotes. Um, oh, it has cross-reference notes. Um, anyways, so that's what to look into. I also got what is called an archaeological bible. Archaeological Study Bible, sorry, uh, which is just an ESV with some really cool notes in there. Um, I got <laughs> the Complete Apocrypha, uh, the Jewish Apocrypha. It's got, um, if I could get to the contents page... Uh, it's got the Universal, Universal Deuterocanonicals, Canonicals, uh, Tobit, Judith, Wisdom, Syriac, Baruch, 1st and 2nd Maccabees. Uh, it has the Eastern Orthodox Deuterocanonicals, 1st Edras, 3rd uh, uh, and 4th 
Maccabees and the Prayer of Manassas. Uh, the Ethiopian Orthodox Deuterocanon includes Second Estados, uh, Enoch, and the Book of Jubilees. There's the Jewish legend of Jasher. Um, there are additional portions uh, in the Bible of Esther, Psalm 151, and Dan uh, some additions to Daniel. The only other other thing I have, Theophilus, and keep this very on the down low. I think I opened this from the wrong end. Oh, they didn't intend me to open it from this end. What? That's stupid. That's really dumb to have it open like that. Oh. Okay. Um. Oh, it is. There's no manual. Theophilus, there's no manual. Um, I got a book on Talit's. Um, Enveloped in Light, a Talit source book. Um, it's got a lot of stuff in there. It's been enlightening. It's been interesting to, uh, to learn about them. Um, uh, oh, I also, I changed <coughs> my username on TikTok. So now you can find me, um, at dot Stephen the Stole. That's a period Stephen the Stole. Uh, I tried regular Stephen the Stole, and it wouldn't allow me to make that my username. Um, so yeah. Um, let's see, what else is new business? Um, I can't really think as much about what else um. hmm. so I think due to time today uh, we are going to <clears throat> truncate <laughs> we're not gonna read from um, Lightfoot's history, uh, early church fathers, apostolic church fathers. Um, I think I'm going to answer a few quandaries, a few questions. Um, oh, wow, that was a quick install. Um, so, um, we got, okay, I'm trying to form the questions that I have in a way that flows beautifully. Um, okay. Uh, she is willing, on the Tiki Talks, asks, what is the most efficient way to defend your faith? That is a bit of a loaded question. What do you mean most efficient way? Um, what will enable you best? will be to make sure your nose is firmly planted between the pages of your Bible. Um, when you become fluent in Bibleese, in what God's Word says, um, that enables you to do discernment. That enables you to take information coming into you, in, into you from a person proclaiming to teach. And as you're listening, because you've studied, if they say something that's contradictory to what you found in your study, 
you know you need to look into that to see, mm, is what they're saying really lining up with the Bible? Uh, in Acts 17, we have the story of the Bereans, who, when Paul taught to them, uh, they did not merely accept what he was teaching them uh, based on his authority. They searched the scriptures eagerly, um, and they were accommodated for it. They were mentioned in the scripture for their actions. Um, <clears throat> as First John says, we are to test every spirit. We're not just to accept things hook, line, and sinker. Um, it's important to be critical. Uh, it's important to not be afraid to ask questions. Um, and any teacher worth their snuff isn't afraid to be asked questions. I'm not afraid to be asked questions. I ask people to ask me questions, um, which is kind of just an outpouring of my ineptitude in conversation, where it's a lot easier for me to answer questions than to talk in general. Um, but yes, um, <clears throat> if you mean what are efficient tactics, um, having people pose questions to you and responding to them. Um, that was how I got into apologetics. That was my golden age of apologetics was people just posted Bible contradictions and I answered them 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 because those people never, ever, ever gave nuance in what they were asking. Um, for kind of an example of doing that, we actually lead into a discord question from Louis Totota asking a question for today's most excellent Theophilus. Thoughts on Psalm 137. What is it about? Why do people use verse 9? Is it taken out of context? Now, those opposing the scripture like to make all sorts of arguments, often taking things well out of context. Um, one way in which they do it, which I think is happening here, is... There's a distinction, a, a distinction, no, a distinction between what is called prescriptive and descriptive text. Um, the Old Testament is descriptive. It tells us what was. Whereas prescriptive text prescribes uh, our course of action as Christians. Um, so the ten, the, the, the old, the law was prescriptive for Israel. Uh, but we are not uh, national Israel. We are not under the Mosaic law. So it is now descriptive for us. It is history for us, which is good to study, um, but is not what God demands of us. <clears throat> so Psalm 139, if I can find it. 137, 139, nine. sorry, 139 is a different, really great psalm uh, to read. Um, psalm 137 reads, By the rivers of Babylon, where we sat and also wept when we remembered Zion. Upon the willows in the midst, in the midst of it, we hung our lives. For there our captors asked us about the words of a song, and our tormentors asked us joyfully, saying, Sing for us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing a song of Yahweh in a foreign land? 
if I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth, if I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Remember, remember, O Yahweh, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, tear it down, tear it down to its very foundation, O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one. How blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have recompensed us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your infants against the cliff. So what this is, is a descriptive text, not a prescriptive text. This is a song, this is a lament. This is a sad song over sad things occurring. Um, and what likes to be taken out of context here is verse 9. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your infants against the cliff. Now, is that saying it's a good thing to kill children? Um, <laughs> no. Uh, is that saying... Um, is that saying it should occur? Well, that's a matter of debate. But this is a song. This is a lament. This is emotion. Um, it doesn't really say the kind of blessing. Um, this could just be referring to emotion. This could say the one who does these things will feel this way. Although at the same time, God promised Jerusalem, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Perhaps that is also playing into this. Um, but this verse is not condoning this action. It is describing the state of the people that it's talking about here. And the Bible speaks very clearly about topics such as abortion, such as what you do with people in wartime, uh, that you're not to kill <clears throat> infants. Um, so this verse is really not, uh, not meant to be understood the way a lot of people want to understand it. So there's, there's an example of <laughs> what I've done for a long time, which is have people make claims, I read the passage, and respond to them. Because a lot of times, people taking things out of context, the easiest way to counteract that <coughs> is to read it in context. Um, so, continuing on, uh, why does theology matter? Uh, from Bible Gauntlet, who's a really good creator. You should follow on TikTok. Uh, Bible Gauntlet. Why does theology... Theology matters <laughs> because it will affect your walk with God. It will affect the understanding of your walk with God and how you walk with God. If your theology says... Um, if you have free grace theology that... Um, Oh, it doesn't matter. We don't we don't need to be repentant. You know, God's grace is sufficient if we're unrepentant. Let's just live life to its fullest now. Um, 
that's really bad for your walk with God. Uh, Paul says in uh, John, uh, John 6, in Romans 6, uh, shall we keep sinning that grace may abound? Meganoito, may it never be. Uh, or never may it be, if we're being grammatically blunt. Um, so it, it does matter. And it can, there's elements of theology that can affect how you share the gospel without affecting the gospel. Uh, which will lead into a question in a moment. But uh, there's also the theological difference of Baptist and Paedo-Baptist, Credo and Paedo-Baptist, uh, Baptist and Presbyterian, um, which doesn't really affect much. Um, we believe only believers, professing believers, should be baptized, and they believe children of believers should be baptized. Um, I have problems with that. I have scriptural and historical problems with that. Um, but they have covenant theology. Um, <clears throat> which, of course, talking about theology, the question comes up from her username now is the one and only PK. Give her a follow. She has really great content. Really good testimony. Um, she's cute. I mean, what? Um, anyway... <laughs> Uh, she asks, what is a Calvinist? <sighs> well, <laughs> I, don't, I never know really where to begin with this question. Um, it was kind of the background I had on my lives. You know, when I could go live. Um, <sighs> how to summarize. Basically, at the end of the day, we believe God is absolutely sovereign over whomever he chooses to save and whomever he chooses not to save. As Romans, it's looking at Romans 9. Um, actually, let me read the relevant part of Romans 8 because there were no chapter and verse divisions when this letter was given to Rome. So they would have read this all in context. Um... So we have, oh goodness, do I just need to do the whole kind of Romans Road kind of thing? Um, yeah, let's do that. Let's kind of just, without doing a whole study of Romans, which I should do again sometime, um, let me just kind of walk through the parts of Romans that highlight uh, the acronym, the TULIP. Um, so let me get a drink first, actually. I need, I need hydration. All right, so we start, let's use my brand Spunk new, wherever I just put it, my yod. <clears throat> Starting at verse 16. Uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God uh, for the salvation to everyone, for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God has made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, 
being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. This is presuppositional apologetics. <laughs> All right, continuing on, 21. For even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor gave thanks. But they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanging the glory of and exchanged the glory of God for in, of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped the created. Uh, worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions, for their females exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the males abandoned the natural function of the female and burned in their desire towards one another, males with males committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. There's a certain... Brandon Robertson, who should read that for what it actually says. Um, 28. Uh, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a hmm, unfit mind. Uh, I like the translation that the NASB would, will offer, which is um, a depraved mind. Sort of a Calvinist buzzword. Uh, total depravity, that's, that's the topic we're covering right now. Total depravity. Uh, God gave them over to a depraved mind. The Greek here uh, meaning basically unprofitable, wicked. Um, not reprobate, as the King James puts it. Uh, a reprobation is taken as a divine judgment, uh, which is not really what the Greek word is referring to. And is, I think, why Stephen Anderson has the attitude he does uh, towards people who suffer with um, same gender attraction um which is anderson's anderson's hateful uh, he's not fit to be a pastor he needs to repent um anyways uh over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper having been filled with all unrighteousness wickedness greed evil full of envy murder strife deceit malice gossip uh, slanderer, they are slanderers, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the righteous requirement of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Uh, Paul picks up again with staunch... Um, condemnation of these kinds of people um the unsaved this is the the unsaved um and there's two types of the unsaved there's the unsaved who will be saved and there's the unsaved who are not uh, as ephesians 2 says we formerly were dead in our trespasses and sins just as the other um other people um paul will continue here and this is why uh i hold to total depravity and the second point you unconditional election um, so Romans 3:10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. 
There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even, there is not even one. Their throat is an open grave, and their tongue, with their tongues they keep deceiving. The venom of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Furthermore, on this topic, Paul... Uh, particularly picks up again in Romans 8, 5 through 8. Um, actually, technically it can start earlier than that. Uh, let's just start with 1 of 8. Um, there, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as a offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh are not able to please God. So this is gets down to some of the big things. So as a Calvinist, and I think scripturally, um, there is no middle ground. You are either according to the flesh, in Greek katasarka, uh, or you are according to spirit, in Greek katanumati. And I would say here in Romans 8, Paul is actually picking up on what God says in Ezekiel, um, that <clears throat> I will take out your heart of stone and give you the heart of flesh. Um, and by that, we will become obedient to God. But notice who's the one working in that. God is the one who takes out our heart of stone and gives us, gives us the heart of flesh. According to Romans, we weren't even looking for God. In Isaiah, he says, I have been found by a people who did not seek me. Um... And continuing on in 8, um, he gets to what we as Calvinists call the golden chain of redemption. Um, it's this beautiful arc that starts in 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Um, oh goodness, am I going to disagree? Am I going to be annoyed at this translation? Uh, where's my other Bible? Not that it's wrong, but the way they ordered the words. It doesn't change the message, but I'm familiar with a particular word order. Um, verses. 
Oh, no, that's actually, oh, that's actually closer to the Greek than I'm used to it being rendered, so that's on me. Um, <clears throat> yeah, okay, sorry. Um, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. When I was discerning Calvinism, this was a big question I had, was what's the basis of God's calling? Uh, because it, it seemed arbitrary in Calvinism. I was never hostile towards Calvinism. I just needed to see it from Scripture. Um, and so I asked a, a great brother of mine, and he didn't really have a good answer um, at the time. And I know why, in God's sovereign purpose. Uh, so that I would I would latch on to this uh, so well. So I'd, I'd latch on to this explanation. Uh, where it says, it explains, for those who are called according to his purpose. Um, and we'll read more about this group of people right here before I get more into this element of our theology. Um, the very next verse, because, because, I think that's an addition, um, for those those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. That's the gold chain of redemption. Foreknown, predestined, called, justified, glorified. Um... We don't believe that this chain is broken. Why? Because of what it says next, verse 31 onward. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who indeed did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. There's a slap in the face to people who think that God didn't want the cross to happen. Um, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? The group known as the called and the elect, I'd say, are an interchangeable group because in Scripture they're referred to interchangeably. The called are now called God's elect. Uh, reading onward. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? who also intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will affliction or turmoil or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were counted as sheep for the slaughter. But, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And this is my favorite. Verse 38. Because I don't just have to have this as something I'm reading. This is a statement that I can bear on my lips as true words. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. And dear Theophilus, you are a created thing. 
nor any created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We can be sure that if God is truly working in our lives, we are secure in him. This is the P part of TULIP, Perseverance of the Saints. Um, I don't remember where, I, it might have been in my Philippians series, um, that he who started a good work in you will complete it to the day of Christ. Um, my Philippians series on TikTok, which I need to do my next few installments in. Um, so in Romans 9, uh, we have at verse 6, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. For they are not all children because they are Abraham's seed, but through Isaac your seed shall be named. That is, the children of the flesh are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are considered as seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. <clears throat> Not only this, but there was also Rebecca, who, uh, but there was Rebecca also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. This is unconditional. Well, this is a myriad of things. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good nor bad, so that the purpose of God, according to his choice, and that root word in Greek is the same as the root for elect, so according to God's election, God's choice, um, according to his choice or election, would stand. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And given what I told you before about the state of man outside of the grace of God, we're haters of God. We're hostile towards him before we're saved. We don't even seek him. So I can understand Esau I hated. We spat in God's face. Um, we were rebels. What's harder to understand, and especially having read the life of Jacob in my, my read-through of the first five books, um, there's not really redeeming qualities in Jacob. Uh, he steals his brother's birthright, swindles him out of it for food. Uh, he lies to their father. He runs and he runs and he runs so far that God has to literally just tackle him. Um, so yeah, Jacob, Jacob, not really on the up and up personality wise. And yet we have written here that he was chosen irregardless of what he was going to do, that he was chosen, that, that it's, it says Jacob, I've loved, but Esau, I hated. So what shall we say then? Verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there any unrighteousness with God? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Now get this. 
<laughs> so then it does not depend on the one who wills, nor the one who runs, but on God having mercy. That's unconditional election. It's not because we were willing. It's not because we were trying. Because we were not willing. And we were not trying. We were haters of God. And we were actively doing all sorts of evil. As Paul established in the first three chapters of Romans. We weren't even seeking for God. So, not only... Not only, as it says here, does it not depend on him who wills, nor him who runs, but it could not have. If it had been, we would not have chosen God. Because we actively chose to run from him rather than towards him. Um, as John said, we, as John says in his gospel, uh, we did not come into the light, for we knew our deeds would be exposed. Uh, John 3, after 18... I think close to the end of that chapter. Um, 17. For scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, in order to demonstrate my power in you, and in order that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. So let's take a look at Pharaoh, because this is going to be a point of discussion if I don't uh, pre-game this. So let's read through every mention in Exodus of the hardening, and let's see who it's attributed to. All right, starting at verse... <laughs> okay, where is it? So the first mention, if I'm remembering correctly, is in Exodus 4.21. Um, then Yahweh said to Moses... When you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So first we have God saying he will harden Pharaoh's heart. So let's read on to the next time this topic comes up, which I have highlighted. Um, <laughs> so, verse 11, Pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same with their secret arts. 12, for each one threw down his staff, and they turned into serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. 13, yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them, as Yahweh had said. Um, then Yahweh said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn, he refuses to let the people go. Um, so, so far we've had God saying he will harden Pharaoh's heart. And here it says, yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Uh, and Yahweh saying, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn, he refuses to let the people go. Um, we have then in the same chapter, chapter, so that was 7, uh, 13, now in 722, but the magicians of Egypt did the same with their magic arts. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them, as Yahweh had said. Uh, then Pharaoh turned and went into his house with no concern, even for this. Um, so people's whole contention tends to be, well, Pharaoh hardened his heart first, and God hardened it harder. 
But we don't actually see it being said, Pharaoh hardened his heart, until chapter 8, 15, verse 15. Um, but then Pharaoh saw that there was relief. He hardened his heart and did not listen to them, as Yahweh had said. Uh, verse 19 of the same chapter. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them, as Yahweh had said. Uh, the very last verse in this chapter. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and he did not let the people go. Um, verse 9, 7. Um, Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead, but the Pharaoh was but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Uh, 9.12 And Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them, just as Yahweh had spoken to Moses. Uh, at the end of the chapter, chapter 9, But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned again and hardened his heart. He and his servants, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he did not let the sons of Israel go, just as Yahweh had spoken through Moses. Verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 1. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may form these signs among them. So who, who start, So he is the one who starts saying he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Most of the time, he is. It, it's not attributing it to him. Twice it attributes it to him, but I'm what's called a compatibilist. I'll explain that in a moment. Um, and here, he again takes credit for it. I have hardened his heart. Um, and the next few times, it's him. In 1020, but Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go. Uh, 1027. But Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Uh, chapter 11, verse 10. Yet Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go out of his hand. So, as a, as a compatibilist, it's not as though uh, Pharaoh is being made to do something he's unwilling to do. He's already an enemy of God. Um, but in a sense, God, as it says in Romans 9, I raised you up for this purpose, to demonstrate my power in you. Um, God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that all of the plagues would occur to be a slap in the face to every god of Egypt, um, or the primary gods of Egypt. So we return to Romans 9. So then he has 9.18. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Now this is why I believe Calvinism is biblical. My theology on this topic warrants that response. Well, if God's just choosing who will be saved and who will not, then how can God actually find people guilty? For who can resist his will? Notice the 
Paul is, knows, but Paul here is asking questions that he's presuming he will get from the congregation, that he, asked, he will just answer, so it's not an issue. Notice here is the acknowledgement that if something's part of God's will, you can't really resist it. As Daniel says, uh, or well, as Nebuchadnezzar says in Daniel 4. Uh, let me find that. So Daniel 4, 34 onward reads, But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes toward heaven, and my knowledge returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can strike against his hand or say to him, what have you done? Um, and it's that same attitude towards God's will, which we would call the will relating to God's decree, his decreed will, where he decrees what comes to pass in heaven and on earth. Um... You know, God's sovereignty. Um, and it's it's this. Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? So what's Paul's response? How is he going to explain this? He first starts with a rebuke. As Second Timothy 3.16, Paul also says, All scriptures God breathed, profitable for correction, rebuke, and training in righteousness. So he rebukes them and explains. On the contrary... Who are you, O oh man, who answers back to God? Will the thing molded say to the molder, Why did you make me like this? Or does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath, God has wrath, people, and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction and in can he did so in order that he might make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory even us whom he also called so now i've given you the context of romans 8 to hear this properly even us whom we've also called paul is saying let's walk backwards now that we've walked forwards, let's backtrack. So, even us whom he also called are those which he prepared beforehand for glory, vessels of mercy upon which he is making known his glory, uh, the riches of his glory. In contrast to those upon which he is demonstrating his wrath and making his power known, by enduring with much patience vessels of wrath that have been prepared for destruction. So we have two types of preparation, and they're, they're different words. But in context, the only type of person preparing anything is God, the potter of, of verse 21. Does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump? So from, as a potter, he makes from one lump of clay... In one case, he makes um, a chalice. 
that he's going to use to drink out of. And from the rest of the clay, he makes a spittoon. Uh, he has the right to do that. As the potter, the clay is putty in his hands. The mountain doesn't have the right to say, God, you really should have made me a valley. The valley doesn't have the right to say, God, you really should have made me a mountain. Uh, the, the ocean can't say to God, look, look, I, I know like the whole water thing and the fish, but really, really, God, I'd like to be a nebula. Um, no, God has made things what they are. And God made it with a purpose. This is not mindless, meaningless. God didn't just go eeny, meeny, miny, moe, uh, pick someone for heaven. Uh, we are called according to his purpose. God has a purpose in everything that comes to pass. Uh, let's look at Ephesians 1, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Wherein we read, and here's election, more stuff on election. Um, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Um, to counter any argument that would be made here, the object of his choosing is us. <laughs> it's us. Before the foundation of the world. Um, in eternity's past, God has chosen. Um, just as he chose us before the in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love, by predestining us to adoption as sons and, and daughters <laughs> uh, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will um, so yeah it's according to his will according to the good pleasure of his will or the kind intention of his will there's two major ways you can translate that that don't really differ much um, to the praise of his glorious grace which he graciously bestowed on us in the beloved in him in him we have redemption through his blood we don't have the potentiality. This is me here. We don't have the potentiality of redemption. If you're in Christ, you have. Today, tomorrow, forever. Redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our transgressions. Not as long as we're observing the sacraments of Rome. No, 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 no. In him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions, according to the riches of his grace, which he caused to abound to us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in him, for an administration of the fullness of time, of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and the things on the earth in him. In him, we also have been made an inheritance, or we've been given an inheritance, I think it's the proper, um, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all 
things according to the counsel of his will. This is why I'm a Calvinist. God has a will. And he is working all things out to this counsel of his will. All things. Some things, all things. All things. The good, the bad, and the indifferent. Well, Stephen, what, what, the bad? The bad? Is God the author of sin, Stephen? No. No. Uh, let's turn really quick to Genesis 50, chapter 20. So, this is the end of the story of Joseph. And he's saying to his brothers, and they're, they're afraid. Uh, verse 18. Uh, then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to in order to do what has happened on this day, to keep many people alive. So, what? there's one action. The selling of Joseph into slavery. The brothers intended it to get rid of Joseph because they hated him. God intended that same, that same event. The brothers intended this action with evil and wicked in their hearts. God intended it with the plan Okay, so Joseph is going to get sold into slavery. He's going to get sold to Potiphar. Potiphar's wife is going to accuse him and get him thrown in jail. He is going to interpret the dream for the cupbearer and the chef. Uh, one is going to get killed. The other is going to go back. Um, he is going to then later, when the Pharaoh has his dreams, uh, he is going to be like, oh, hey, I know a guy who can interpret dreams. Um, and if you got a flood, I know a guy. Sorry, that, that was a joke. Um... He's going to, and Joseph is going to interpret the dream, and they're going to prepare grain. And so Joseph's brothers meet him again, and Israel, the bloodline of Jesus Christ, the salvation of the world, is preserved, is carried on. Um, a lot of things riding on one action that God intended to occur with the intention in mind of all of those other things occurring, so that, as Romans 8 says, God works all things out for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Every good and bad thing in your life has led to who you are today, and God has intended you to be who you are today, and he is still working in you. We will not know in the moment why something happens. It's <laughs> a lot of a lot of bad things that's happened in my life that I did not understand when they happened, why they were happening. But now I see, if I had had a better life, I wouldn't be who I am today. There wouldn't be Romans 1, 26 and 27 wouldn't be underlined in my NIV if I didn't have some of the bad things happen in my life. Uh, I wouldn't be an apologist, probably. I might not be an apologist. I wouldn't have had such a need to study the Word. But I believe I'm the man God wants me to be today, and God is still working in me. Uh, and I've gotten to be who I am today through the bad, so I can accept that God 
ordained the things to happen in my life that were bad, that were done by people with bad intentions. God intended them, however, with good intention to, in the long run, spiritually move me to a place of spiritual nurture and deepening and maturity. So then I read with all joy that we have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things out according to the counsel of his will. And more about eternal security or perseverance of the saints, we read in verse uh, so 13, um, In him also you, after listening to the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. An offer of our, of, of, no, a pledge, a guarantee of our inheritance unto the redemption of God's own possession to the praises of glory. Wait a second. We're God's possession if we're in Christ. We are God's possession that he has redeemed. But Stephen, how do you keep humble with this? Oh, wait, you know what? Actually, <laughs> really quick, uh, since I haven't gotten to um, the, the, uh, the duality, uh, compatibilism, God's decree and man's genuine will. Uh, that was an example. Man intends for evil. God intends for good. Man has a genuine intention. God, <laughs> man, man has agency. God intend, uh, man intends things. God intends things too. Um, but, so how do we keep humble? Well, we acknowledge what we've been saved from and that it was God doing it all along. Uh, just Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly, formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, that is the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We're sons of God, not sons of disobedience. Hallelujah. Uh, verse 3. Among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the age to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. So what's the humility? It is all of grace. We have nothing to brag about. The only difference between me and the unsaved who I witness to is a five-letter word called grace. Grace. God's grace.
God's mercy on a soul in taking out their heart of stone and giving them the heart of flesh that my that the me proclaiming the word of God may take hold in their heart that they hear the shepherd's voice for Jesus says my sheep hear my voice there are those who are of his sheep there are those who are not there are those who are of his sheep who will be stubborn for much of their life but if they are God's, he, if, if they are of God, if they are of the sheepfold, he will find them. I think the language Jesus uses about his relation to his sheep is very clear. In fact, Jesus himself says one of the most Calvinistic passages. That's an anachronism because Calvinism came after um, as, as a term. Kind of like the, the word Trinity. You can't find that in the Bible, but it's a biblical concept. It's a word used to define a biblical concept. Uh, John 6. Let's read through this. I really like this passage. Um, so this is after the fish, the whole feeding of the 5,000. Um, oh, I'll read that in part in, in the other half of this segment because I'm uh, encroaching an hour. Oh, oh wow. All right, John 6, let's go with, uh, where does it start? Ah, yes, okay, so, John six twenty six. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him... The Father, God, set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What should we do that we may do the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what do you do for a sign that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, just as it is, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Moses has not given you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. This is an important section for the rest. For, to, to distinguish the Catholic argument, remember this. What does Jesus say at the forefront of his conversation here? He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. And he's going to bookend this, which the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Uh, you'll see that later. Uh, so, he who believes in me will never thirst. Um, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father, here's where it begins, all that the Father gives me, will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. For I, oh, I skipped the line. No, I didn't. So he says in 36, yet you do not believe, or and yet do not believe. You have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, 
and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down out of heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now this is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. So there's this group from which he will lose none. This group has come to him because, uh, because the Father, because they're all that the Father has given him. Let's read on. Um, there's some rebuttal from the Jews. That's not relevant to the point I'm trying to show here. Um, Jesus answered and said to them, stop grumbling, uh, 34, uh, 43, sorry, 43. Uh, Jesus answered and said to them, stop grumbling amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. This word here in Greek for draw, it's the same word for dragging, for pulling, for unsheathing a sword. I've unsheathed many swords. I, they've never refused to be drawn. Um, so no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day as it is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of God everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me not that anyone has seen the father except the one who is from God he has seen the father and truly truly I say to you he who believes has eternal life and then he goes into how he is the bread of life uh, which isn't relevant to this topic right now. Not getting into the Catholic response, the response to the Catholic. Um, Fifty-three. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you da, 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 wrong part. Sorry. Um, uh, Fifty-nine. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of the disciples, when they heard this, said. This is a difficult statement. Who can hear it? But Jesus, knowing that his disciples were grumbling at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he was saying. So the, the, the tense here, the verb tense, implies he was continually saying over and over again. For this reason I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. No one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. No one can come to me unless it has been granted to him from the Father. And just as a lot of people do, when Calvinists repeat this same statement, no one can come to God unless God has given it to them to come, unless he's regenerated them, unless he's made their hearts tender, pricked their hearts, taken out their heart of stone, given them the heart of flesh that they may hear. Many people hear our message and just as they did to Jesus in 66, as a result of this, many disciples went away and were not walking with him anymore. Because it's not what people want to hear. <clears throat> a lot of people want free will. And there are plenty of Calvinists who will allow the terminology free will. I don't. Because... 
when you hear free will, Theophilus, if you're not thinking Calvinistically, you are going to have not the understanding that we mean by it. Uh, the free will most people talk about is this idea of an autonomous, uh, uh, libertarian free will, which in the final analysis, it kind of just zooms out and makes man's will tenamount uh, equal with the will of God. That, that God, in all he can do and can't do, he cannot do something that violates our will. Well, he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Did Pharaoh ask him to harden his heart? Nebuchadnezzar didn't ask to be made a wild creature, yet God made him a wild creature. And when he was, when his sanity returned to him, he said, God does as he wills. He, he agreed with David in the Psalms when it's, when it's written in the Psalms. God does as he pleases in the heavens and in the earth and in the depths of the sea. As Nebuchadnezzar said, no one can stay his hand and say, what have you done? As Paul preemptively assumed, the, the retort would be, who can resist his will? According to the Molinist, according to the Arminian, according to the non-Calvinist speaking on the topic, the answer normally has to be man. Man can choose to resist his will. Man, man can... Irresistible grace. Um, we're not talking about the grace that gives the sinner the breath in his lungs. We're talking about the salvific grace of God that saves a soul. The, the studied Arminian want, wants to make that want, wants to make that a God's generalized a generalized grace that man can resist. But the Bible seems clear when it's talking about the will of God, that what he what he decrees to come to pass will come to pass. Peter, in his second letter, is writing to saints, people. He, he is calling them saints. He's saying they have the same faith as his. I believe Peter had a salvific faith, had a saving faith. And he says, one of the favorite retorts to us, but taken in context, he's saying to other true Christians um, that he is patient with you, not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. God is patient with the elect, not wanting any of his children to perish, but all of them to come to repentance at their ordained times. And this is talked about by the early church, the number of his elect in the epistle of Clement, as I, I think we read over that the other week. And we see also in the early church talking about our inability to choose God in the epistle of Mothetes to Diaconetus chapter 9. So, are we just robots? No, we're, we are not just robots. We have genuine agency. David has a whole psalm where he repents to God. He says, against you and you alone have I sinned. O God, do not take your spirit from me. I'm paraphrasing, I'm sorry. But he also writes my fa one of my favorite psalms. Uh, certainly my favorite excerpt from the psalms. Uh, psalm 1, well, okay, that's a lie. Eli, Eli, Lama, Svaktani, uh, Verse 1 of, of, of Psalm 22. 
Oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because that's just a beautiful psalm, and it's quoted in the New Testament. Um, but he writes Psalm 139. Um, which, by the way, is just a beautiful psalm about God's sovereignty. Uh, I'm just going to read the whole thing. O Yahweh, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my laying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Yahweh, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before, and you have put your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I lift up the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. And your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will bruise me, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not too dark for you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb, and I give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and intricately woven in the depths of the earth, for your eyes have seen my unshaped substance. And in your book, all of woe. And in your book, all of them, all of the days. Oh, okay, this translation is painful. I'm going to just go with the way I'm normally used to reading it. Uh, in, in your. Oh, okay, let's. Okay. Uh, sorry guys, it's wor wording can be everything in, in translation. Not that the meaning is different between the two readings, just that um, the reading I'm about to give you will make a lot more sense to the English ear <laughs> than how it's rendered. And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Um... When as yet there was not one of them. Yep. Um, and that's that's really that's the crux of it. Um, I'd say David was a compatibilist. All of the days that were ordained for me were written in God's book before one of them came to pass. Yet at the same time, David saw that he had agency to say, "God, don't take your spirit from me, please. I beg you." Um, it says in, in Proverbs, I think, is it 16.4? Um, 16.4 is one of them, I believe. Uh, let's see if I can turn live. We'll do it live! Um, 16.4, uh, nope, that's the wrong passage, I'm sorry. Um, elsewhere, you can, uh, Google's free. Um, elsewhere it says... Um, yeah, you roll the dice, God determines its outcome. You know, that's part of God's sovereignty. Uh, everything, whatever comes to pass, it's from his hand. 
Um, and it says elsewhere in the Proverbs, a man guides, a, a man plans his steps, uh, but it's Yahweh who guides them. That's a terrible paraphrase. I'm sorry. I'll look up the exact verse. Wow, I was in the right chapter. 16.9. The heart of a man plans his way, but Yahweh directs his steps. That's, that's just, that's compatibilism. We plan. God plans. Um, we, we, God is not surprised. And God has ordained what comes to pass. Wait, so that means God, did God ordain the sin I committed? The same way he ordained Joseph being sold into slavery, the same way he ordained Jesus to be crucified. Yes. All the perpetrators of those evil acts did so with evil, sinful intentions. God intended that act. He ordained it. According to the counsel of his will, in his sovereignty, in order from the good he intends to bring out of it. Let me, let me go personal example. He ordained that I would become so devastated in my woes in high school that I would harm myself in order to demonstrate his mercy and power and give me the testimony that I have no scars from any self-inflicted injury. I have plenty of scars from accidental injuries. <laughs> Which is hilarious, too. I, I have a whole whole injure, uh, scar on my right arm, just below my elbow, from a dirt bike incident. But I have no scars on my other elbow that I tried to dash to ribbons. That's the mercy of God. And that's the sovereignty of God in demonstrating his power. I wouldn't have that testimony if I hadn't gone through that rough patch. Was that rough patch terrible? Yes. Was that rough patch painful? Yes. And traumatizing? <laughs> yeah. Yes. What does James say? James 1. Beautiful book. Uh... He says, in, starting in verse 4, uh, nope, sorry, in verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith brings about perseverance. And let perseverance have its perfect work, so that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. God works all things according to his, according, God works all things for our good. If you're in Christ, God is working all that pain in your life for good. It may be hard to accept. I've come to accept it because I look back at my life. I know I'd be nothing like I am today without everything that's happened. Good, bad, and indifferent. And I understand with some people's pasts, that is going to be... That may even be impossible for some people to accept. And the great and merciful thing is, Calvinism, Arminianism, is not a salvific doctrine. It is beyond important. Theology matters. I, we, I'm not going to tell people to say the sinner's prayer. Because what it kind of presents as how you get into the kingdom. I'm going to give people the gospel call. Today is the day of the Lord's salvation. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, but repent and believe you shall be saved. That is pure scriptural quotation. 
Uh, that's that's the gospel that if you look at Acts, how did they preach the gospel? They didn't say, "Look, God loves you. He just wants you to to change your mind." They say, "This is what Jesus did on the cross. He is the Messiah. Repent and believe." Um, and as it says in Acts, as many as were ordained unto eternal life believed. Um, that's what we believe as Calvinists. And that made for a very thorough program. I'm really glad I didn't try for anything else other than answering questions, uh, because that took quite a chunk of time to explain. Uh, I have dinner waiting, so I am going to read my NIV. And we are going to part ways until next week, unless I get so tired of not being able to go live that I just start doing Theophilus programs on here. <laughs> okay. Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12, Jesus spake these things to his disciples. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you on account of Christ. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Go in the peace and everlasting love of our Lord and Savior.